small medical supply business, where he quickly rose to the top and became a partner. Then, as microbiology became the wave of the future, he began to reconstruct his father's notes and discovered that shortly before his sudden death, his father had been on the verge of making a major breakthrough in cancer research. Venture Capital had helped him launch Genstone, and word of the cancer-inhibiting vaccine had made the company the hottest stock on Wall Street. Initially offered at $3 a share, the stock had risen as high as $160 and conditional on FDA approval, Garner Pharmaceutical contracted to pay $1 billion for the rights to distribute the new vaccine. I knew that Nick Spencer's wife had died of cancer five years ago, that he had a 10-year-old son, and that he'd been married to Lynn, his second wife, for four years. But all the time I spent boning up on his background didn't help when I met him at that family dinner. I simply was not prepared for the absolutely magnetic quality of Nick Spencer's personality. A little over six feet tall with dark blonde hair, intensely blue eyes, and a trim athletic body, he was physically very attractive. It was his ability to interact with people, however, that came through as his greatest asset. Within five minutes, he knew my age, where I lived, my job, and where I grew up. Thirty-two, he had said, smiling. Eight years younger than I am. Then I not only told him that I had been divorced after a brief marriage to a fellow NBA student at NYU, but even talked about the baby, Patrick, who lived only a few days because the hole in his heart was too big to close. This was so not like me. I never talk about the baby. It hurts too much. And yet it was easy to tell Nicholas Spencer about him. That's the sort of tragedy our research will prevent someday, he had said gently. That's why I'll move heaven and earth to save people from the kind of heartbreak you've experienced, Carly. My thoughts were quickly brought back to the present reality as Charles Wallingford hammered the gavel until there was silence, an angry, sullen silence. I knew Wallingford was 48 or 49 years old, and I had seen him on the news the day after Spencer's plane crashed. He looked much older than that now. I worked with Nicholas Spencer for the past eight years, he said. I had just sold our family retail business, of which I was chairman, and I was looking for a chance to invest in a promising company. At his urging, I invested almost all the proceeds from the sale of our family business and joined Genstone. So I am as devastated as you are by the fact that the vaccine is not ready to be submitted to the FDA for approval. But that does not mean if more funds become available, further research will not solve the problem. A shouted question interrupted him. What about the money he stole? Abruptly, Lynn stood up and pulled the microphone from Wallingford. My husband died on his way to a business meeting to get more funding to keep the research alive. I am sure that the missing money can be explained. One man came running up the aisle waving pages that looked as though they had been torn from magazines and newspapers. The Spencers on their estate in Bedford, he shouted. The Spencers hosting a charity ball. Nicholas Spencer smiling as he writes a check for New York's neediest. Security guards grabbed the man's arms as he reached the dais. Where do you think that money was coming from, lady? I put a second mortgage on my house to invest in your lousy company. You want to know why? Because my kid has cancer, and I believed your husband's promise about his vaccine. He was a burly-looking guy of about 30, dressed in a sweater and jeans. I watched as his face suddenly crumpled, and he began to cry. I won't even be able to keep my little girl in our house, he said. 
I'll have to sell it now. I looked up at Lynn, and all I could think was that the diamond on her finger was probably worth enough to pay off the second mortgage that was going to cost a dying child her home. The meeting didn't last more than 40 minutes. As people streamed out, I took names, addresses, and phone numbers. Thanks to my financial column in the weekly browser, a syndicated Sunday supplement, a lot of them knew my name and were eager to talk to me about their financial loss. I felt a hand on my arm. It was Sam Michelson, a veteran reporter for Wall Street Weekly magazine. Buy you a drink, Carly? He offered. Good God, I can use one. We went down to the bar on the lobby floor and were directed to a table. It was 4.30. I have a firm rule not to have vodka straight up before 5 o'clock, Sam told me. But as you're aware, somewhere in the world, it is 5 o'clock. I ordered a glass of Chianti. Sam gave the order, then abruptly asked, So what do you think, Carly? Is that crook sunning himself in Brazil as we speak? I gave the only honest answer I could offer. I don't know. I met Spencer once, Sam said. I swear if he'd offered to sell me the Brooklyn Bridge, I'd have fallen for it. What a snake oil salesman. Did you ever meet him in the flesh? I pondered Sam's question for a moment, trying to decide what to say. The fact that Lynn Hamilton Spencer was my stepsister, making Nick Spencer my stepbrother-in-law, was something I never talked about. Unfortunately, it did not keep me from buying $25,000 worth of Genstone stock because, as Nicholas Spencer had put it that evening at dinner, after this vaccine eliminated the possibility of cancer, there would someday be another to eliminate all genetic abnormalities. Sam is pushing 70, but his baby blue eyes are bright and alert. I realized it wouldn't be fair not to tell him of my somewhat tenuous connection to the Spencers. I watched his eyebrows raise as I filled him in on the relationship. She comes through as a pretty cool customer to me, he said. What about Spencer? I would have bought the Brooklyn Bridge from him, too. I thought he was a terrific guy. What do you think now? You mean whether he's dead or somehow arranged the crash? I don't know. What about the wife, your stepsister? I know I winced. Sam, I only met her three times. The night before my mother's wedding, at the wedding, and one other time when I arrived in Boca last year just as she was leaving. So do me a favor and don't refer to her as my stepsister. Noted. The waitress came with our drinks. Sam sipped appreciatively and then cleared his throat. Carly, I just heard that you applied for the job that's opening up at the magazine. Yes. How come? I want to write for a serious financial magazine, not just have a column that is essentially financial filler. Reporting for Wall Street Weekly is my goal. How do you know I applied? The big boss, Will Kirby, asked about you. What did you tell him? I said you had a couple of brains and you'd be a big step up from the guy who's leaving. Half an hour later, Sam dropped me off in front of my place. I live in the second-floor apartment of a converted brownstone on East 37th Street in Manhattan. It was a relief to unlock my door and go inside. I was down in the dumps for very good reasons. The financial situation of those investors had gotten to me, but it was more than that. I know that buying that stock as a tribute to Patrick was also my way of trying to cure the hole in my heart that was even bigger than the one that had killed my little son. But I knew there was another reason for feeling drained and down tonight. Nick, Nicholas Spencer, 
no matter how overwhelming the apparent evidence, I simply could not accept what they were saying about him. Was there another answer for the failure of the vaccine, the disappearance of the money, the plane crash, or was it something in me that let me be conned by smooth-talking phonies who don't give a damn about anyone but themselves? Like I was by Greg, the Mr. Wrong I married nearly eleven years ago. I went to bed early, determined to clear my head and make a fresh start the next day. I was awakened at seven in the morning by a phone call from Sam. Carly, turn on the television. There's a news bulletin. Lynn Spencer went up to her house in Bedford last night. Somebody torched it. The fire department managed to get her out, but she inhaled a lot of smoke. She's in St. Anne's Hospital in serious condition. As Sam hung up, I grabbed the remote from the bedside table. The phone rang just as I clicked the TV on. It was the office of St. Anne's Hospital. Ms. DiCarlo, your stepsister Lynn Spencer is a patient here. She very much wants to see you. Will you be able to visit her today? On the 40-minute drive to St. Anne's Hospital, I kept the radio tuned to the CBS station to catch anything new that was being said about the fire. According to the reports, Lynn Spencer had driven to her home in Bedford around 11 o'clock last night. The housekeepers, a couple, Manuel and Rosa Gomez, live in a separate residence on the estate. They apparently were expecting her to be in the New York apartment that evening and were not aware that she was in the main house. What made Lynn decide to go to Bedford last night? The thermometer on the dashboard registered 62 degrees. It would be a terrific day for a drive to the country if the reason for the drive wasn't the one I had. Still, I was curious. I was on my way to visit a stepsister.